Guys, on this show, we're always trying to deliver a panoramic view on sports, right? We're always trying to deliver it from all angles. Well, today, we're going to hear from an academic advisor and a very special one at that, a very popular one at that. And you're going to get to know more about this star from the Netflix Last Chance U series. Uh, you don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boo! This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with you guys today for yet another interview. Now, as you guys heard in the introduction, we have a very special guest this week, someone who I look up to. I've been following her in her profession um, since I kind of saw her role on the Netflix series Last Chance You, and I'm sure she's heard that a million times over, plus a couple. Uh, but we're blessed to have her on the show today. You know, it's been four and a half years doing this show, you know, 91 different countries, 67,000 times it's been downloaded. It's just been a really cool experience. But every single time I bring on a guest, I get like super excited. People ask me, hey, are you ever nervous? Are you ever I'm not nervous, but I get excited like, you know, I'm 32, but I get excited like I'm like I'm 15 just to be like, oh, I got to talk to somebody that's like really cool, you know, and and today's no different. Um, I'm bringing on Brittany Wagner. She was on the Netflix series Last Chance You in seasons one and two, but we're gonna get to know her outside of just Netflix, right? We don't we want to just know about Netflix. We want to know about her, her profession, um, and how she ties into the sports world. So first things first, Brittany, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, I appreciate you being here. Now, the whole mantra of my show is, hey, we're delivering a panoramic view on sports. That was the whole goal. Um, I've been a, a an athlete my whole life, a sports fan my whole life, and I wanted to create this platform to deliver a panoramic view, showing it from all angles. And that is why you are the perfect guest. But we want to rewind the clock. I like to rewind the clock, Brittany, and kind of see um, the the guests before like they became, you know, part of the spotlight, the limelight, you know, like, and so we, well, at least me, I kind of first was introduced to you on Last Chance You, seasons one and two, when that series kind of hit it big on Netflix. But we want to rewind the clock, you know, to how you even ended up at East Mississippi Community College at that time, um, and how long you'd been doing that profession? What was your, I guess, your athletic background, your your academic counseling, I guess, academic advising, uh, advisory role? What was that background like before the cameras ever got there to East Mississippi? Yeah, I had already been at East Mississippi six years before we started filming the show. I was there eight years total. Um, I I became, I got introduced, I guess, into the athletic academic counseling world. I was a student worker at Mississippi State University in the athletic department. Really just, I knew I wanted to work in that, in the college sports field, but I wasn't real sure what area. And I was fortunate to work as a student worker in a, in an athletic department that was SEC, so high level, but um, they were really good at giving their student workers just a lot of different experiences in a lot of different departments. So I kind of dabbled in everything as a, as an undergrad. And then um, made some contacts, and as a graduate student, wanted a graduate assistantship. And the athletic director at Mississippi State at the time said, "Well, I've got one for you. It's in the athletic academic office." 
And I was, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I had been working as a student worker in college athletics for four years and I had no idea that there was like a department and a building and people that their only job was to monitor student athletes in the classroom and just in life. And so I, I just, I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Cause I just, I wanted my school paid for. <laughs> and I, as a graduate assistant, uh, I walked in that office and I, Within two weeks of being in that office and seeing what the counselors did for the athletes, I kind of knew, like, this is what I want to do. Um, and then I worked for, I don't know, 10 years. Um, I, I worked at various levels. I was went back as a full-time counselor at Mississippi State for four years um, before going to East Mississippi. And so I kind of did the job at all levels and then ended up at East Mississippi. And I was there for six years never in a million years thought that that would i, I never well i never thought any place would make me famous or i would ever be on tv but of all the places i had ever been that was the least you know <laughs> place that i thought cameras would come to um so yeah it, it's it was it's just a crazy story and crazy ride yeah that is kind of crazy it, it's interesting that i didn't know that about you as well as like the the background which is cool to hear going from some of the bigger schools like you're talking sec country in the sports world obviously that's big names like those are big time schools big time yeah. programs big time universities i mean it's it's you're in a profession over there that's big time and then kind of it's almost like an athlete going from like a bounce back we call them bounce backs going from yeah. a d1 school to a junior college in east mississippi it's like that was me i was the bounce back bounce back counselor <laughs> <laughs> i love that the bounce back counselor and and you go to east mississippi and it's funny because when i talk to athletes who have played in junior college level you know every junior college is different but it's not always how it's portrayed like sometimes the cameras like to make a junior college look really really nice but sometimes it's not really how it is behind the scenes it's like it's just a it is what it is it's rinky dink little you know area for them to go and focus on what yeah. they need to focus on um when the cameras like when when netflix approached i guess the football program i guess or the athletic department there and they decided to do that um what were your initial thoughts from you having been there a couple of years prior to that already were you nervous about that Did you, were you apprehensive about having cameras behind the scenes like being able to catch everything and be and having you be part of it yeah, I at first I was like, no, I, I mean, I don't want any part of this because it's going to be a disaster was kind of my first thought. Um, I also I didn't know the intent. I mean, at the time, it's hard for people to realize it now. But at the time, Netflix was not what Netflix is today. I mean, at the time, Netflix had just gotten away from like the DVD company where they mailed you the movies. And they didn't have they didn't have original content. They were only buying shows from other networks and playing them. And then they just had movies. So there was nothing to gauge what was going to happen. I mean, I didn't, you know, people that are on Last Chance You now, season six, well, they they can watch five seasons and go, okay, well, this is what the show's about. Yeah, I'll do it. I didn't have that. I mean, I had no clue. And the only thing I had to compare it to were reality TV shows and there weren't any about sports. So I, I'm, I'm thinking like Kim, the Kardashians and like Jersey Shore. And I'm like, heck no, I don't want any, you know, I don't want any part of this. And then you take into consideration the fact that I was in Mississippi and you you're talking about a company and a crew coming from LA to Mississippi. I mean, I'm smart. I was smart enough to know, Probably none of them had ever been to Mississippi, maybe not even the South. 
And how are they going to portray, you know, because they can edit it to make it look however they want it to look. And I'm thinking they're going to come into Mississippi and this is going to be some like show kind of making fun of us and how we operate and how we think and like these guys. And I knew the stories of my players. Like I, I knew Ronald Ollie. I'd already had him for a year. I knew, you know, that we had just gotten DeAndre Johnson who had become famous, you know, for being a ESPN ticker story. I mean, I just knew. And I thought this is going to be terrible. Like this is going to ruin all of our lives. And so I immediately said, no, I don't want any part of it. And then, um, the producers of the show and really kept on <laughs> um, and they actually came to where I lived and like just kind of um, really talked to me and showed me what they were what their vision was and what their goal was and really what they wanted to do. Um, and as I just kind of trusted the producer of the show, I finally agreed to do it. And I mean, and I say finally, I mean, all of that happened within a couple of weeks. It was so fast. Yeah. Um, and then cameras were in my office a month later. So there wasn't like there was this long time span to really contemplate it. I mean, you know, it, once they decide to do it, they're moving. So it was quick. Guys, got to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's podcast, Moku Foods. Please go check them out. Go to mokufoods.com or go follow them on Instagram or any of their social media platforms. They make some amazing plant-based jerky. It's out of mushrooms. Now, if you're like me, the typical meat lover, love my beef jerky and whatnot, you might be a little hesitant. I'm going to tell you right now, this jerky is amazing. They sent me some packs to try it out. I'm going to tell you straight up, you need to check it out. If you're a snacker like me where I work from home, I'm in front of a computer and I need to snack on something or you're driving down for a long trip to go see the in-laws and you need something to snack on, get some Moku jerky. It's mushroom-based jerky, tastes fantastic. You can't even tell that it's not beef. You need to check it out. Go to mokufoods.com, or again, follow Moku on all of their social media platforms. It kind of sounds like a car salesman or a door-to-door -door salesman when they're when they're in your front door. Like you gotta you gotta make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, looking at it hindsight, are you glad that you you know you you ultimately agreed to do it to yeah. and everything that came from it? Absolutely. I mean, I I could not have dreamed this up. Um, you know, I, not to mention, just I had no idea the show would be the success that it is. I honestly thought no one would watch it. Um, and I, you know, to for it to be as successful as it has been, but also, you know, I made lifelong friends in that process with that crew. I mean, you know, that the producer, his whole family, his wife, his children, I became friends with the the my camera guy and my sound tech. I mean, there's there's a a whole um, circle of people that I will forever be connected and bonded to because of that, that I would have never met otherwise. And that was an amazing thing to kind of experience was to get to know all these people that were all of a sudden, you know, surrounding me 24 seven. Um, and then just to look back, to sit back and look at all the lives that have been affected and changed because of that show. And not, not necessarily because of me, but just because of the show and people that have been inspired and really changed their lives after watching that. I mean, you know, it, it has a purpose. It's not just for entertainment. And I, I'm really excited to have been a part of something that has a purpose. 
I love hearing that. And and the interesting v- thing you said, Brittany, I wanted to unbox that real quick was you talked about how Netflix wasn't the what what it is today back then. And you it wasn't even that long ago in, in retrospect, but it it kind of was. Now all that's transpired since then in, in everyone's lives. And for those who are listening, I coach basketball for high school athletes and they're I'm putting in, they were in elementary school when that, that first yeah. two seasons came out. So like when I'm telling, I'm like, yeah, it actually kind of was a little bit ago. Like they probably didn't realize like, and, and having your perspective there is super interesting as well for anyone who's watched the show and loves it now, but yeah, not having anything to go off of. Like we, I spoke with coach Jason Brown from independence community college. He was on seasons three and four, but even he had the first two seasons to go off of. You guys didn't know what was going to come about that. And I remember the very first time I was ever even introduced to it. I wasn't even watching Netflix. My buddy at work was like, dude, there's this really cool show. You got to check it out, man. There was this brawl and this whole thing. He's like telling me all about this. I'm like, what? I'm not going to watch this about a small school. And then I ended up falling in love with like everybody else did. But it's kind of funny because it wasn't that big thing yet uh, as it's grown to be. Um, now, with with the cameras there and everything, you've, you've, you were able to build a lot of awesome relationships. But one thing I wanted to ask you after kind of like seeing, I would, I would, I look at your profession and I felt like you were in a very difficult position, not just because of the camera. I'm talking about just your position was very hard. It kind of shined a light on what you did, helping these struggling students, these student athletes with academics, which is a very, very hard thing. People don't realize it. Like a lot of kids just aren't gifted academic. They haven't been taught the skill sets and you were teaching them the skill sets necessary, the mindset that's necessary to get there. But there's all, almost like this little friction between your position as like an academic advisor, an academic counselor, and maybe the coaches, right? Because sometimes the coaches have a focus of like, we need to just get you on the field. And you got to focus of like, well, this is more important for the longevity of their lives and careers. Talk to us about that, Brittany, if there was any friction. And, and you don't necessarily have to state specifics there. You know, there, I, just, I just would imagine that's common sense that people realize there's a little bit of you got to kind of fight two battles there. And uh, maybe if someone's in a similar position to, as you, what's a piece of advice you would give them to, like, get through that and still help, still respect the coaches, but also help the athletes the best that you possibly can? Yeah, I I think that, you know, look, everywhere I've worked, I've worked with a lot of coaches and there's always a little bit of that because and the reality is we were we were hired for the same big goal, but but not really like but we're not going to get fired for the same reasons. (laughs) You know, I mean, we like when when Coach Stevens and I were both hired, I mean, we were we both were hired at the same time to come in and build this powerhouse program and we knew that a we have to win you have to recruit we have to win but b in order to do that and sustain it we have to consistently get players to the next level and the way to do that is academics i mean if if you're winning then coaches will come watch them but if they're not if they don't have the grades it doesn't matter if you're winning because they can't move on anyway and so we knew that there's two pieces to that puzzle and they have both have to be equally as good or this whole plan is not going to work and so we knew that and our goal was the same but the difference is coaches get paid to win you know i mean coaches get paid to win games and they're going to get fired for not winning (laughs) i'm not going to get fired if we don't win nobody cares if we win from where i'm sitting i mean i'm going to get fired if i consistently can't get athletes if athletes consistently aren't eligible or you know i mean so we had the same goal, but I mean, the, our priorities were different because our paycheck was on the line in different ways. And I think that's true, period. I mean, you know, once once I was mature enough 
in my career to process that, like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's why he's yelling at me and super stressed out because this guy's got to be on the field. Cause if this running back isn't on the field, we probably aren't going to score points. If we don't score points, we don't win. I mean, once I kind of was mature enough to see both sides, I think I really, I, I started to get it. And, you know, that was, that was the conflict with coach Stevens and I, it, 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 that he, he really had a win at all cost mentality, which is probably part of the reason why he's so dadgum successful is that he, he, I mean, he was just going to win period. And he didn't care what he had to do or how he had to do it to get there. He was going to win. And I wanted to win, but I, but I wasn't a win at all cost. You know, I was, cause, cause I, I was in it for the betterment of the athlete. Like I wanted, I had a different goal there and, and I wanted to do it the right way. And, and I thought, you know, look, if we shape these athletes and make them better people, it all falls into place. Um, you know, and he was like, no, it doesn't all fall into place until we win. <laughs> so I think that was the friction. Um, I mean, I think advice for that, there's look, there's thousands of counselors all over this country working their tails off. And, you know, most of them at some point in their, if not all of them at some point in their career are going to have that with a coach or, or coaches. I mean, it just, it just is, um, you know, I, I think I finally turned a corner when I started just worrying about myself. I like <laughs> that. When I really finally just realized, like, I can't control him. I'm not going to change him. Like, there's not – he's not going to have an epiphany. Because we used to argue all the time. And I, and I finally got to the point where I thought, I'm not going to change his mind. Like, I, I mean, this is what he believes. And so I'm wasting my time, like, trying to change his mind. Um, and so what I really started focusing on was not needing him, which sounds – Cause I did, but, but I really tried to focus on not needing him, like having the relationships that I needed to have with the student athletes to where, when I called, they answered, when I asked them to do something, they did it because out of respect for me and our relationship and knowing that I cared about them and I was asking them to do something that was only going to benefit them. And so I started focusing on that. If I, if I have the athlete, the relationship with the athlete, I don't need him necessarily to run them or agree or any of that. I can get it done on my own. Um, and then, you know, as with most programs, you usually go through the assistant coaches anyway. You're not bothering the head coach with every little thing. And so I just, I really utilize the assistant coaches and then try to form the relationships with the players to where I only had to really go to him on big ticket items. And I think that eliminated a lot of stress. I like that. And it sounds like just from your your explanation there, like you grew within your profession there, like just as maturity, you know, like you're just growing in your profession, like understanding what we're, you're not going to change his mind and whatnot. And I think that's huge that that piece of it can go for anything. It can go for a marriage for crying out loud. I can say the yeah. same thing about me and my wife, right? Like I'm not going to change your mind. So what's the, let me just like not approach it this way, change it, change it up a little bit. That perspective is actually super, super unique. And I appreciate you sharing that because I'm sure there's other people that are like, Oh yeah. Like it, it sounds super simple, but yet we're always arguing with somebody that we're battling with in our profession. All of that is uh, super insightful. And then the whole concept of like, you got hired at the same time for ultimately those same reason, you know, 
to build this program, but you don't get fired for the same reason. And that right there <laughs> can change a lot of people's perspectives on a lot of different things. So that was huge. Yeah. I have with a big company, you know, there's people hired for sales. There's people hired for marketing. Your end goal is the same to make the company successful, but you're getting fired for different reasons. So you have to have awareness of like what everybody else's priority is. And um, I think that is with anything you do in life. I mean, just at the grocery store, like I can, I have to have awareness of like, oh, she's in a hurry. Let me just scoot over and let her go. You know, I mean, I just think that that's, that's key to most things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, here's, here's a question I've always had for you. And I'm grateful that I get to actually ask it, you know, as a former athlete, you know, I talked to, you know, academic advisors and stuff, just trying to put my classes together. They'd always check in on me. I do grade checks and so forth, all these things. But I became like very trusting in my, you know, academic advisors and in other people's, you know, roles in my athletic journey outside of just my coaches. There were things I would tell those people that I wouldn't tell my coaches. Like I would open up more to them than I would my coaches. And sometimes it had to do with my coaches. And that's why I wouldn't tell my coaches because that was my safe spot. So I'm sure that the same concept happened. Like you had more of a personal relationship with these athletes and talk to me about that. Is that, is that difficult sometimes to hear like personal stories and then, you know, they're confiding in you. So you're not going to go just tell the coach, like, you know, Hey coach Stevens, so-and-so just said that you're doing this. That's not, that's not cool. Like they trust you to not be the one speaking to, but that takes a mental toll as well. I'm sure on you, that's how that's, you know, counselors have to deal with that all day long. You know what I mean? They hear people's right. stories and I'm just curious, like how that did that take a toll on you? Or was that something that you embraced in your career? Um, I embraced it. I think it made me better. It, it made me a better counselor to know who I was working with. Okay. I, have a, I have a saying when I give speeches that you need to know who you're working with, not what they've done. Because I think a lot of times we know what people have done, but we don't really know who they are and why they are who they are. And I don't think you can build effective relationships with people when you're only looking at what they've done and you're only looking at the external. I think you have to know, like, well, why did they do it? And when you start to hear some of the stories of these athletes, um, you know, that we had a, we had an athlete one time before Netflix whose house burned down when he was 10 and his parents died in the house. And so at 10, you know, he was homeless and had watched his parents die in a house fire. I mean, it was traumatic. And, and all of a sudden he's on the streets. And I, I knew that he had been in and out of juvie and I, but I could, when I knew the kid, I'm like, I can't imagine him being in juvie. Like he's so sweet and fantastic. And so I asked him about it one day, like, why, you know, what, what's your story? Like, why were you in and out of juvie? And he said, cause I would steal food. Cause I was hungry. I was homeless. Like I had to, I mean, so I think, you know, when you, when you hear their stories, it, ch it changes you. And if it doesn't change you, then, you know, I think you need to check yourself. Yeah. But I mean, it changes you when you start to hear these stories of these kids and what they've overcome to be where they are. And, you know, and, and we're so judgmental about, oh, they, when we see the stories of athletes who do something wrong or make a decision, you know, we're so judgmental about well, how could they do that? They have everything that, well, but you don't know their story. You know, you don't know where they came from. You don't. And I think when you do, you see things from a whole different perspective. And so I wanted to know their stories. I mean, I wanted to know, like, why? And, I, and, and you can't ask why and, and expect them to feel safe telling you 
if you're judgmental. Like, so it took, you have to just listen and, and listen with understanding rather than listening with a response or listening with advice. And so I worked really hard on trying to do that. And you're right. The flip side of that is you take a lot of it on. I mean, you, 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 you just, you know, things that people don't know. I mean, I can remember thinking, going into like a Thanksgiving holiday, thinking, okay, I got to make sure that so-and-so has somewhere to go because he doesn't have a family to go to. I've got to see what teammate is he going home with. I've got to make sure so-and-so has enough money to eat for the week. I've got to make sure so-and-so. I mean, you know, I'm running through all the list of people that I want to make sure are okay for Thanksgiving because I knew the reality of their situation. And so there were times where I would go to coach and say, hey, look, we need to take, we need to make sure that we are taking care of so-and-so before Thanksgiving. Like we need to make sure somebody needs to sit down with them and make sure that like he has a place to go and he has food because I, I just, I know, I know about that situation and I don't know that he's got anywhere to go. And so, you know, there were times that I would kind of probe coach to like, Hey, talk to him, talk yeah. to him. Um, but, you know, I don't think I ever, I hope I didn't ever cross a boundary there where I, you know, told too much or, and, and I would hear stories of things that would happen or things that would be said in the locker room or on the field. And I would just be horrified, but it wasn't, I, you know, I try, I'd never like reprimand. I mean, it's not my place to reprimand him for what he right, said. Right. Uh, so I tried really hard to stay out of that lane, but I mean, it, it, it's hard when you know what these kids are going through. Um, it's hard to, to separate kind of yourself from wanting to help them. Totally. I can see that. And, and, and someone like yourself who just, you have a, a good spirit about you. That's like just kind. Right. And like, and that's different than like coaches are built differently. Um, th that's just who they are as well. Like, and I'm a coach myself and I try to, I'm, I'm learning the ins and outs of that too. Like you have to have a little bit of the hard side to you, you know, like, and, but like to be in a position like you, you got to have more of that personable side and, and that's tough. You take on a lot and it's cool to hear the back side of that a little bit. Um, that's, I just hope people are listening to this and, and see that perspective and see like, yeah, your job's not just sitting behind a desk and like, checking grades and then having a little meeting with them to make sure they're going to class. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, one question I have for you, Brittany, that has been on my mind is you being around these student athletes, you know, you got the cameras in your face right now. Social media is a huge tool, right? We know that social media is like, it can be a good thing, but it also can be a very, very bad thing. Um, I think it brings a lot of stress upon young student athletes, uh, just young, young people in general, but like, they're always looking at, you know, people, the critics, the critics have something to say, but now you, you bring cameras in there and it's a, a global show on a global network like Netflix. Um, it amplifies things. So I'm just curious your thoughts on social media and the impact it has on our, our student athletes, since that was kind of the field that you, you have the expertise in. Yeah. You know, I think that it, it impacts this younger generation a lot more than it impacts maybe my generation or people our age, because we had a time period of our life without it. And so I think we are better able to set parameters and boundaries around it and not take it maybe quite so seriously, or at least I hope we are because, because we've lived without it. And so we know that in, you know, in reality, 
they like to go along without Instagram. I mean, you know, but but younger kids, they don't have that perspective. I mean, they've had social media and the internet from day one. And so I think a lot of they, a lot of things get amplified for them because it's it is the end of the world, you know, they think it is the end of the world because they can't imagine a world without it. You know, I think that we um I think that we need to start really taking time to teach these young people how to set their own boundaries surrounding it. You know, like, I I don't think that it's all bad, but I think it's bad when we're consumed with it. And when we get our self-esteem and our self-worth from how many people like our photo, you know, I mean, I think that's where we start to get where it, it starts to become a mental health concern when, you know, I mean, and, and you, I, look, I, I, I read the comments, you know, and, and when I, when I'm, when I follow a sports team and I, and I click on the comments and I start reading some of the things that people say to these athletes after they lose a game, you know, I yeah. mean, I, it's appalling. And, and I think that there needs to be somebody surrounding every single team, professional, college, all of them that are, that are helping these kids to deal with that. I mean, that are, that are giving these kids guidance on, Hey, turn the comments off or two hours. You get two hours on on the phone or on game days. Don't look at it at all. Like something, because if you go, if it's a free for all and you're doing, you're doing whatever and reading whatever all the time, I don't know that you, I don't know that you have the mental capacity to give all of your focus to a sport like that. I don't know, how, how do you walk on the field and give 100% mentally to like being in the moment and, and winning a game or playing your best game when you were in the locker room five minutes ago reading thousands of comments of people that hate you? I mean, I, you can't flip that off. Like, right. <laughs> and, and I, I just think it's interesting that we don't talk about that. Like we don't talk about teaching these young people how to how to just set their own boundaries in order to allow themselves the mental capacity to do something else. Right. On it. Yeah. And I, and I, I, you know, look, I'm not some big superstar, but, but I, I, I learned that. I mean, I learned when the show blew up and I went from 177 followers on Twitter to 10,000 in about 48 hours. I mean, I had to figure out right then, okay, I got to set some boundaries here for myself or this is going to drive me crazy. Like I can't, you know, and I had to do it. I had to really set some boundaries. I had to really think about it. I still do. I mean, there, I still have to think about everything I post and, you know, turning the comments off on certain things because I don't want to, I don't want people's feedback, you know, on certain things that I post. And I've had to be, you know, I've had to learn. And if I have to learn at 40, you know, whenever, however old I was when the show came out, then I can't imagine being 18, 19, thrown into the spotlight like that and then having no guidance. Right. I, I mean, I just, it's, it's not good. And I think that, it, I think that that is, I would, I think that that is probably the number one contributing factor to the mental health issues we're having with young athletes today. I am so glad you said that. Um, I, I mean, I've often thought that I think it's crazy. I think we're all, we all fall, you know, we're all guilty of like getting affected by like, we'll post something, whether whatever. And we start sitting there like, Oh, I'm going to fire back at so-and-so with their comment. Um, but when we see, like, I think for the athletics, the athletic field, when you see a professional athlete or somebody that you look up to, um, 
do the same thing. There are certain professional athletes out there, NBA, NFL, even you'll see them start firing back on comments and, and, and that you see that it affects them. So it's okay for it to affect you. So you're going to fire back. And, and I think it kind of plays a role. I think if we got it early on, like you said, I think it's a fantastic idea is to have someone just help them navigate it. It's not something I think we can necessarily always block out. Not everyone's going to just completely shut off their stuff. They kind of want to be attached to the world a little bit is what I think anyways, but yeah, navigating it would be a huge thing. And it's a, yeah, I can't even imagine when I, I'm not even that old. I'm only 15 years removed from high school, but we didn't have social media back then. Like we do now, like in 15 years, just the difference that it's been for me. I'm like, Whoa, I can't even imagine growing up in high school playing sports now with everything. Everything's on camera. Everything, everything you do is everything. I don't know who will run for president in 10 years because like, seriously, like you, like, I mean, we will have dirt on everybody and it's like, yeah, Who's going to ever run for office? I mean, I, I don't know. I, it blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that we didn't have since when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Now, you know, Brittany, when, when, um, when the season ends for anything, like when a, when a semester ends and whatnot, you've built these connections with athletes um, when you're, you know, working with them and you've seen the progression. Some of them have like, you've seen the very depths of things like where they were really low and maybe you didn't think they were going to make it out and they did. You've got some cool success stories, I'm sure, but letting go, I'm sure like, it feels like you're a mom. It feels like, you know, you, and then these guys are going on. We've seen obviously the ones that are shown on the show, but there's probably many others where you've had these personal connections with players that never got shown on the, on the show. And you know, they go on to live their lives, uh, good or bad things happen to them. Um, and they move on. Does that like, does it make you sad? Like, how do you deal with that? Cause as me as a coach after three months of coaching basketball and telling my team goodbye at, when the season, I cried telling my team goodbye at the end of the year. Like our last game, we huddled up afterwards that we had just taken a loss, but it was a, it was a great season. And I cried just because it wasn't because we lost. I cried because I was like, man, like I love being around these guys. I love seeing the progression of these young athletes as they, you know, continue to progress throughout the season, the growth that they had. And then I was, I, I might not ever coach any of them again. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, because you have such a huge impact on these kids' lives, what it's like for you having to let them go, so to speak. That's the hardest part, honestly. Like, that was always the hardest part of the job. Um, You know, when I was working at a four-year institution, I had four years with them. So, you know, that that senior year was super sad, but I had four years. And so you you grow, you know, you see them develop, you see them grow. By the time they're seniors, like, they kind of a lot of them have life kind of figured out. And so, you know, like you have a piece about that it's going to be okay. And, you know, they've, they've done the work and they're fine. Um, and sometimes you're after four years, you're like, yeah, go bye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Um, but junior college was different for me because we, I, I only had a lot of them, I mean, two years, but some of them not even two years. I mean, football, most of our football players, we, tried to get out in three semesters. So they would graduate in December of that sophomore year. So I wouldn't even have them. I would have them a year and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and you, you don't know, like it, that, that has, there hasn't been enough time for you to really see them mature and like to know that they're going to be okay. And like life's going to work out for them. You don't know. And some of them you're literally sending off and you're, and you're just thinking, Oh my gosh, like it will even, make it to from two hours from now like um and it so it was so sad every single time 
And it happened two times. It happened in December of every year and it happened again in May of every year because I had two graduating, you know, graduating classes. And I cry. I would cry like like I literally would be shut down emotionally for about three days. Like I, I would cry and be sad and just emotionally drained for about three days. Um, and, you know, and obviously you get over it. But I still it still pains me because they move on. And let's be honest, like as much as I meant to them or as much as they meant to me during that time, they move on and other people fill my role. And like you become with every year that passes, you become less and less important. And you don't, you know, you stop hearing from people and you stop like, and it's, that's so sad. And I still get sad because, you know, I was like, even Ronald Ollie, when Ronald Ollie graduated and went on, I mean, we, we talked all the time and stayed in touch. I went to most, a lot of his games when he played at a four year, like we kept on and kept on and kept on. But with every year that passes, our communication gets less and less. And I mean, it makes me so sad. Um, but it's life, you know, I mean, and I have to let him go because that's the whole point. I mean, um, and you just have to trust that like they'll figure it out and that you had an impact and that they'll remember you in some way forever. And eh, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's actually like gut wrenching hearing that actually like makes me sad here it. Like, but I can understand it. I think the thing is, is you make an impact on people's lives. I've got a lot of uh, college professors, you know, that I, that I don't necessarily talk to anymore on a consistent basis. Maybe I'll send them a message once in a while to say what's up, but like, they had, a, and I'll talk about them, I'll right. talk about them to people. Um, they're, they definitely had impacts on my life, but I can kind of see that as you go on and, and other things happen. But now it almost makes me wonder if I shouldn't just reach out to those guys like because I'm like, Oh man, yeah. like I hope they know that I still love them. You know what I mean? Like they were super impactful for my life. Um, holy cow. That actually like, made me sad. You should reach out. For sure. yeah, <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. I hope anyone who's listening to this does the same exact thing. Grab your phones out and start making the text messages that you need to do right now. You never know. Yes. Um, yes. so, so Brittany, after, you know, after you left East Mississippi, as we're wrapping up the interview, I just kind of want to know what you're doing now. Um, I let you, let you kind of tell everybody what you're doing. I kind of already have an idea cause I've been following you, but what you're doing now and what's coming down the pipeline, like these skill sets you've acquired in this profession, how you're leveraging those skill sets now that you have. And uh, talk to us a little bit about that and where we can find all the information. Now, this is the, the opportunity for us to know where we're going to go uh, to find all your info and get all your stuff. Yeah. So I left when I left the show and left the school, I kind of went out on my own. It took me a minute to figure it all out. But I started my own company, 10,000 Pencils. Um, and so through that company, I... I work all over the, or I'll say pre-COVID, I worked all over the country um, traveling to different schools, different high schools. I've worked with elementary schools. I've worked with junior colleges and then four-year universities, um, working with counselors, teachers, administrators, coaches, and then also student athletes or just regular students. Um, and really, the, the my goal was to, to kind of take the relationship building things that I had learned, which is why I thought I was successful, you know, yes, I do have strategies with scheduling and class, I, you know, and eligibility. I mean, I, I did have strategies there, but I think the real thing that made me successful and, and really made people kind of gravitate towards me from the show was the relationship building aspect of what I, what I did. And so I take that piece and my whole purpose is 
to try to get educators to realize that we, to stop focusing on the data and start focusing on the human being. Because it is not until we start meeting the emotional and social needs of the students that are sitting in front of us that they will then be able to learn. A starving child who hasn't eaten in three days is not going to sit in a chair, be still, and be focused on passing a math test because their basic need of hunger is not being met. And so until we know that about our students and know their stories and then teach each individually based on their experiences and their stories, I don't think we will master education in this country. Um, I think we're too focused on data and statistics and teaching to the test and we're losing out on, you know, really impacting people through the relationship building aspect of it, which then impacts their ability to learn and get an education. Um, so that's really the focus of 10,000 pencils is to kind of spread that philosophy out. Um, and then I do a lot of motivational speaking, which Ironically enough, I started out doing speaking with athletes and schools, and now I've kind of dived into the corporate world because the message is so universal. Um, so I do a lot of speaking to corporations, um, still with schools too, but kind of all over the gamut with who I speak to um, on a pretty regular basis. So that's fun and exciting to hear people that aren't even working in college. I just got back from speaking to lawyers, a defense lawyers association. And, and it, you know, it's just interesting to stand on a stage and speak about my experiences and he and see them connect, you know, to how it affects them and their lives and in their law firm. Um, so definitely a universal message there. Um, I just wrote a book. Yes. Which is something that I never thought I would do ever. Um, but I did. And I actually wrote it with the help of some editors. But um, and it comes out September 7th. It's called Next Chance You. It's um, tools, tips, and tough love for bringing your A-game to life. So it's really kind of 11 chapters of my philosophy of like how to be your best self. And really how I started out the interview talking about just me focusing on myself and having awareness enough to see that people have different perspectives. Um, the book is a, a lot about that. It's about, look, get you got to get yourself right before you can start pointing the finger at other people and um i tell a lot of stories about myself personally that people don't know from the show and then i also tell stories of athletes that i've worked with some on the show some not to kind of illustrate the points from each chapter um, i'm super proud of it i hope that everyone buys it and everyone loves it uh, I just re last week finished recording the audio, audio audible version. So I read it myself. Um, I'm just excited. I think it's, you know, I, I think it can be a life changing thing. And it's, I really wrote it with the mindset of like, I wanted it to span age gaps. So I wanted a high school student to be able to pick it up and read it and understand it and get it. And I wanted you know, my mom, the 70 year old woman to pick it up and read it and get it and understand it. So um, I really wrote it with that in mind. Um, so I'm just super excited about it. Yeah. 
I, I love this. And Brittany, where can we find it? I know where it's at, like on BrittanyWagner.com. You can do the pre-order. It looks like it's coming out September 7th is the publishing day. Is there anywhere else that they can find information on it? Or is that where we want to direct them all to is BrittanyWagner.com? You can go to BrittanyWagner.com. I mean, it is right now it's available for pre-orders anywhere that you can buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Um, and then starting September 7th, obviously you can order it or go out and buy it. Um, and it'll be available. The audio version will be available as well on September 7th. So you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and then my Facebook fan page. I'll be, I will be constantly <laughs> posting about it real soon. Um, so that might get a little annoying, but um, my Twitter and Instagram are Brittany underscore MS girl. And then Facebook is just the Brittany Wagner fan page baller we'll make sure to put that in the description of the show as well when this publishes and i'll make sure to also post this out i'm looking forward i'm going to pre-order it i'm looking forward to reading it and then i'm probably going to get the audio version too um i think it's cool that you did the narration for it i've uh, gotten that all I, I think it's just cool i think it's 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 unique how different people do different things with their books with audio versions uh david goggins um had his own version of what he did with his audio book i think um having the narration there is going to be super super cool so i'll probably get them both um, I encourage everybody else to do the same. When I saw that you had a book, that's before I even reached out to you. I was like, no way, dude. I was always waiting for that to happen eventually. And then now it's coming out. I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Um, and then for, again, for the corporations out there, any businesses that are listening here, if you're, if you're a business owner, go check out brittanywagner.com. If you ever want Brittany to come and, you know, speak for your, for your business, you can find out more about her stuff there. The business inquiries, uh, yep. go to brittanywagner.com. I'm assuming that's kind of where they can get all the deets for yep. that. That's it. Yeah. Baller, baller. <laughs> You know, Brittany, I really, really appreciate you joining us and, and sharing your story with us. And we look forward to, you know, seeing what you do in the future and, and getting the books and everything out there. But once again, I just want to say thank you for joining the Game Time Guru podcast. It was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. Everybody take care and make sure to subscribe to the show. We'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode with Brittany Wagner. I hope you enjoyed it. But hey, listen, before you do anything else, before you go on with your day, Make sure that you are registered to play in Bam Jam, the three-on-three basketball tournament here out of the Treasure Valley. The guys over at Bam Jam are some solid dudes. They're putting together an amazing tournament. Some rule changes this year are going into effect. You know, you're going by twos and threes. You got referees and a cash prize for the top divisions in their winners. So make sure to go to Bam Jam. Boise, if you guys want to compete, that's one thing that I always tell people. A lot of people don't want to compete anymore. They, they get scared of competition. Bam Jam brings some amazing competition. It's fun. It's an amazing time for the family. And it's going to be in Caldwell, Idaho at Indian Creek Plaza this, this year, which is going to be a fantastic change of scenery for everybody around. Go to BamJamBoise.com and check it out today.